The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. We expect 100% saturation of our audience today on this Monday edition of PFTPM since there's absolutely nothing else going on in the sports world. (laughs) Nothing to see here. Nothing that I may be watching on my phone, which is strategically positioned at the corner of my laptop so I can keep an eye on what may or may not be happening in Buffalo, New York. Nothing like that. Shereen, good afternoon. How are you? I am fantastic, Mike, and I'm at the mecca of the sports world. We had Game 7 of the NLCS here last night. Cowboys, Cardinals, I'm getting ready to go to the game. It'll be the first game I've attended. Excited to see that, and the World Series starts here on Tuesday. So a little excitement in Arlington. I was out and about today and a lot of baseball fans in town and of course a lot of Cowboys and Cardinals fans getting ready to go to the game. Well, there's plenty going on definitely right now. Even as basketball and hockey are done, they came to an end not that long ago. Now football carries it out. Baseball World Series, plenty happening. And this the third, not the second, the third, the second unscheduled Monday Night Football doubleheader. Chiefs and Bills getting started momentarily elsewhere. And I'm just kidding around. I don't expect anyone to be watching this live today, but you can watch it on demand. (laughs) If anyone is watching it live and hasn't turned over yet to the game because the game still hasn't started, quick last second thought, Shireen, on tonight's Chiefs-Bills game. Well, it's important because whoever loses this game obviously has lost two in a row, and we were talking about these being two of the best teams, not only in the AFC, but in the NFL. And and suddenly one of them is four and two, and we're not talking quite as good about that particular team. But I do think in the end, both of these teams are going to be right there when it comes down to it and, and very big cogs in the AFC playoff picture. The Chiefs have a tendency to lose focus on the teams that they don't believe merit their focus. Not that it's intentional. There's just a complacency that creeps in over the 16-game course of a season when every team you face is giving you everything they have, it wears you out mentally. And I think there are games where the Chiefs are vulnerable because they're not locked in like they are first game of the season or against the Ravens on Monday Night Football or like they'll be tonight against the Buffalo Bills. They get the extra two days of rest. The Chiefs played last Sunday. The Bills played on Tuesday night. And, you know, for the Bills, I I still think they're trying to figure out who they are. And last week's game was kind of a, do we really know? Are we as good as we think? And they may be feeling a little, a little not too confident about where they are. I think the Chiefs, it's more about refocusing, reloading, and getting to 5-1. and one. And I'd be very surprised if the Bills win this game, although I still think the Bills are a force in the AFC East. I think they're also influenced at some level by the fact that the team that they thought they'd be contending with and competing with, the New England Patriots, aren't as good as expected. So they got a little more buffer room. You know, the Chiefs have the Raiders hot on their heels, Shireen. The Bills have a little more buffer room. And I don't know how much they think about that, but if they're human, they do. Well, they say they don't, Mike. Come on. They don't read the papers. They don't watch they never TV. We all know that. Of course they they're do. They're all robots. Yeah, exactly. Of course they do. They hear everything. They look at everything. They know exactly where they are in the standings. They know exactly who's coming up on the schedule. 
Yes, it's one game at a time, but I they, they look ahead. Maybe the coaches don't do it as much as the players do, but the players certainly look ahead. They know what's ahead of them. They know they need to win this game. I, like you, think the Chiefs are going to win this, but I am very much looking forward to that Bills defense against that Chiefs offense. I think it's going to be a good matchup. Yeah, I think it will be too, and it could be a playoff preview. And in the AFC, there are plenty of great teams. The postseason, which is looming, should be great in the American Football Conference. Now, the Tennessee Titans, 5-0, and along with the Pittsburgh Steelers, 5-0, and facing this weekend in Nashville, the first game that was postponed because of the pandemic. And actually, it's better now because it's a bigger deal. Three unbeaten teams left, two of them square off this weekend. Something's got to give between this great defense and this incredible offense that Tennessee has quietly put together. The Titans reportedly will not be losing draft picks for whatever COVID-19 violations they committed. So the wobble continues for the NFL. Week and a half ago it was, and they were putting the word out. They were putting the word out that they were going to hammer the Titans with potentially historic punishment. Then last week, the word starts getting out. The NFL is not going to do anything at all. Well, now it kind of starts to swing back a little bit. They're going to get some sort of a parking ticket, apparently, but not anything close to what people thought they were going to get for unauthorized practice sessions. Whatever COVID-19 violations contributed to an outbreak in the building. And there's still some lingering questions about what they knew and when they knew it about the outbreak they were experiencing when they went to Minnesota three weeks ago, just a day before all hell broke loose. So some sort of quiet punishment for the Tennessee Titans, but nothing like what the NFL was expecting to do. And they need to do something because last week when it became clear that they weren't going to do what people thought, other teams are like, well, what's the, what's the, you know, other than your own disruption, you don't have that deterrence that the NFL wanted to bake into this. So I think they need to do something to let other teams know that there will be serious punishments beyond your own inconvenience and possibly not being ready to play games because you didn't practice and everything that goes along with that over and above that there will be punishment from the NFL if you don't do what you're supposed to do. And Mike, it all mesh, meshes with what I heard from Roger Goodell when we were on that conference call recently. And, and he said, this is more about protocols and getting things right and making sure teams comply as opposed to any kind of punishment. And he felt good about them cooperating with what was going on. And, and so here we sit with, with likely a slap on the wrist uh, after we heard that it was going to be a uh, very heavy punishment, get hammered. But Mike, do you think when they let the word out about the getting hammered that that's when they wanted other teams to be scared and make sure they were following those protocols? Now, maybe they don't now, but don't you think that was some of that to make sure that other teams comply that maybe weren't complying? If they did, it was Hollywood quality acting because they were telling multiple teams <laughs> this is what is going on to the point where when I started to hear the other side of it, I went back to some of the people who told me what they had heard from the league. And I said, hey, I'm starting to hear they're not going to do anything at all. And they, they were mad. They're like, this is baloney. They got on the phone and they told us this is what they're going to do. And they were getting that word out. This is what they're going to do. You know, it's just part of the, the there's a political reality to any organization. You don't just drop the hammer on somebody when you get 32 different teams. You get the word out what you're thinking about doing. And may, I don't know. I just think that if it was deliberate, aimed at scaring people straight, it, it's it's not smart to do it that way because if you ultimately don't do it, it's the it's the the hollow threat that no one else is going to take seriously. But I, I do like this approach differently than uh, the bounty scandal when there was a cultural issue in the NFL and the NFL identified one team 
of many that was violating the anti-bounty policies and hammered the saints and basically used that to scare everyone else into stopping. The, the better thing to do is tell everyone, look, you got to stop this. And next time, whoever does it is going to pay. But we're going to give everyone a pass for now because we assume everybody's had mask irregularities. Hell, just watch the sidelines during a game. So, you know, and they're bigger. I think their bigger challenge is hold it all together. They're so focused on holding everything together that they haven't really gotten to the punishment phase with the Titans. And hell, it's been two weeks since John Gruden, after being fined $100,000, his mask clearly not on. And the NFL said they were going to do something to him about it. They haven't been able to get to that because he's still been dealing with the Titans. And there's all these other brush fires that they're putting out one after another. It's like every day there's another team that's got some issue. A lot of times it's a false positive. But I, I just think their main objective at this point, they realize everyone's got an incentive to try to keep this out of their building and to try to avoid an outbreak. And I think the NFL's incentive is help everyone do it so they ultimately don't lose games. The most egregious thing to me, Mike, though, was the off-site practices because they had specifically been told by the NFL, do not do this, do not have off-site practices. And whether coaches were involved or not, I guarantee you the coaches knew they were having off-site workouts. There's no way they didn't know that these off-site workouts were going on. And to put a kibosh on that and say, we aren't going to do this. The NFL has told us not to do this. So that, to me, is, is the, the biggest thing that they did. You know, we don't know everything that went on in that building, of course, whether they were fully complying with the mask. We know they weren't fully complying and things like that. But to specifically be told, don't go practice off-site and then to go do it, that, to me, was the biggest thing they should be penalized for. And for those of you who may be watching this and not the football game, the Bills had the ball first. The Chiefs now have the ball, although I wasn't looking when they either punted or threw a long <laughs> interception because the Chiefs have the ball right now on their own 26-yard line, second and one. Just in the event there's somebody out there who, for whatever reason, would rather listen to us than watch the Chiefs at the Bills. All right, the New England Patriots watching intently what the Bills do tonight because they are now two and three. First time below 500 this late in the season since 2001, or at least five games into the season since 2000. Now, 2001 worked out pretty well. And you know what? This could be a team like 2001 where they get better on the fly. But are we worried? Should we be worried about New England? Is there a fundamental difference between this team and other editions of the Patriots that, that is more than just the inconveniences they've experienced because of the pandemic? I think you should be worried, Mike. I think you had them going to the Super Bowl, right? Nobody cares about that. Nobody cares about that. That's what we do. That's what we do. Because here's the thing. When you get it right, it's not like they show up at your house with a new car, right? You, you got lucky. That's so, true. yeah, I, I had the Buccaneers and the Patriots, and until one or both are mathematically eliminated, I'm sticking with that pick. But but anyway, are, are, should we really be concerned about the, the possibility of the Patriots just getting to the playoffs, much less advancing to the Super Bowl? Yeah. Well, this is a team, Mike, I was concerned about before the year even started because of all the COVID opt-outs they had had. I just didn't know how they were going to put all this together. And, hey, Bill Belichick is the greatest coach in the history of the game. The Packers can argue otherwise. The Steelers can argue otherwise. You can have all those arguments. But Bill Belichick is the greatest coach to ever coach in this league. But you have to have talent. And I think it showed on – yesterday that they don't have the talent they once did. Uh, Cam Newton cannot carry this team, not practicing, I understand, hurt this team. But you just look at where they're ranked and how he's done. He has more receptions than touchdowns. 
two touchdowns, four interceptions. He's down near the bottom in, in passer rating. Mediocre in offense, mediocre in defense, 14th and, and ninth. This, to me, is just a mediocre team. They scream out mediocre just with the talent they have. They have the coaching. I just don't think they have anything to go along with the coaching. And now, certainly in our next segment, we're going to even question the coaching and, and some of the things that Bill Belichick did in that game yesterday. But, yes, I think this is a team very much that's going to struggle to make the playoffs despite the added playoff team. I'm not going to make excuses for the Patriots because they would be the last ones to make excuses for themselves. I thought they'd be the last time to the last team to have any COVID issues because I just assumed everything would be buttoned up as well as it could be. And of all the people on the team to be their patient zero for it to be Cam Newton really was stunning. And it tells me that something in the messaging to Cam Newton didn't work. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gotten it. And I know he's on radio today. So he didn't know how he got it. Well, he got it. Doesn't matter how you don't know how you got it. You got it. You did something to expose yourself to it. So you weren't as buttoned up as you needed to be. And that information is being provided to players by most teams, if not all teams. The question is, are you hearing it? Are you heeding it? And are the people who are communicating it sufficiently sensitive to whether or not guys really do get it? And the Patriots have always been very good about sending messages that are always carefully followed or else by every member of the organization. And that's what surprises me, that they're one of the teams that's had this issue, that they're a team that desperately needs to be practicing, needs to be developing, needs to be gelling, and they've lost those opportunities. And Cam Newton was gone for three weeks, and last week they barely practiced. The week before they barely practiced. They've got offensive linemen on the COVID list. They've got injured offensive linemen. They don't have Dante Skarnecchia there to make chicken salad out of whatever the quality of the five guys who are able to play may be, and it's just starting to show up. And even then, even then, they still almost beat the Broncos. They still almost won the game. It, it was ugly, and the Broncos had way too many field goals, not enough, or any touchdowns. They could have blown the Patriots off the field. The Patriots' defense held up its end of the bargain. The offense is going to have to do more, or eventually the, the, the defense is just going to break. It's, it's, they're not going to be able to take it anymore, and they've still got some tough games coming up, and they've got to play the Bills twice. They have the Bills two weeks from now. Um, they, they've st- I'm not writing them off. Because they have Bill Belichick, because they have Josh McDaniels, and because they have Cam Newton. Here's Cam from earlier today talking about what he needs to do to better lead his new team. I have to be better. I want to make that perfectly clear. You know, I have to play better football for the New England Patriots, and I will. I I think any competitor uh, in this position, you know, I, I, I heard a person say once, you know, I don't point fingers. You know, I point thumbs. And with that being said, I take full responsibility of where we are as offense and, and, and knowing here moving forward that I will, it starts with number one, and I will be better. Not, not, and that doesn't mean I'm going to do more and, 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 and press the issue. It's just, you know, doing the small better. And I think I can do a better job of it. I like that saying. I mean, you still can point a thumb at someone else. It just looks weird. Um, but uh, I like that. I don't point fingers. I point thumbs. And, and that's how the Patriots have always been. And, and, and that'll be the ultimate test of the Patriot way, Shireen. They're dealing with adversity. They've dealt with adversity. They figure it all out and they put their best foot forward. And this is a team that's always on to the next week, on to the next challenge. And maybe they'll be a lot better if they can eradicate the COVID from the building and practice three times a week. And Cam Newton can continue to develop and I've always thought they're going to be better later in the year. They're just going to be better later than they otherwise would have been because of what's happened the last couple of weeks. 
completely agree, Mike. This is a team that is going to get better. I think they're good enough to beat anybody. When you go back and look at that Seattle game, that to me was probably the most encouraging sign for the Patriots, to be honest. It came down to one play on the goal line, and they could have won that game. And that's against what we think is a really good team. So I think that's the encouraging thing for them. The victory over the Raiders was good. So I think they're good enough to beat anybody. But at the same time, I think they're bad enough to lose to anybody. I mean, the Broncos game, when you start penciling in L's and W's, was a game they should have won. They didn't win that game. Whether we're letting them off the hook or not for COVID, whether that played a part or not, whatever, that's still a game you should go out and win. You look at what the Titans did when they came off of their big break, came out, and they looked terrific. And they they just didn't miss a beat. Maybe it was all those off-site workouts. Who knows? But they played really well, and the Patriots failed to do that. And when I look at their schedule, I see the Jets on there twice. I know those are two wins, what should be wins. I don't know about the rest of their games. I think they should beat Houston, but after losing to Denver, I don't know. And then the other games in there, you feel like they're probably not going to be favored in those games. Yeah, they've got three games left against the teams of the NFC East, and they start this weekend late afternoon game hosting the 49ers. Then it's at Buffalo, at the Jets on a Monday night. Oh, boy, schedule something else that night. And then uh, on a Sunday night, the Baltimore Ravens come to town. So three of the next four games should be tough ones for the New England Patriots. And I think they need to win three. They need to go three and one over the next four to reestablish themselves, and we'll see if they can do it. The Chicago Bears have won five out of six. And no matter what they do, they're not being taken seriously. And you know what? This is the perfect way for the circumstances to come together for a coach because you don't have to worry about your guys getting a big head because no one's saying or doing anything that would give them a big head. And then you use the fact that people aren't giving you the respect that you deserve to motivate your guys to go out and keep winning. Now, the schedule gets a little bit tougher starting on Monday night with a game against the Rams and then the Saints and then at the Titans. So we're going to learn a lot about the Bears over the next three weeks. But for them to be 5-1, and one, Shereen, do we need to be taking them more seriously than we currently are? Oh, probably. But, you know, I compare it to two years ago. I didn't take them real seriously either, and they were a clanked field goal, double doink off the field goal from advancing in the postseason. But I just nothing's been real impressive. I mean, Detroit's two and three, the Giants one and five, the Falcons one and five. Okay. The Bucks, that was a good win at four and two. And maybe if Brady didn't forget the downs, maybe they lose that game. Panthers three and three, you know, they lost the Colts who were four and two. So their next five to me, are going to tell me exactly where this team is. And maybe they're better than I think they are because I'm one of those who's not giving them the respect perhaps Uh, that they're due. And, you know, we heard Nick Foles say, well, I'd rather win ugly than lose pretty. Hey, I want to win pretty. And there are a lot of teams in this league winning pretty right now, and they're not one of them. And so when you start talking about teams you think are going to contend, they're certainly not one I put in that category. Yeah, I think the list goes lose ugly, lose pretty, win ugly, win pretty, because winning ugly is not sustainable. Because if you are winning by the skin of your teeth, if you're relying upon flukes, if you're relying upon the greatest quarterback of all time losing track of the downs, eventually that's going to catch up to you over the course of a 16-game season. But here's Nick Foles from Sunday. And this is spirited, and this is passionate, and it's inspiring, and it's something that everyone needs to be listening to because this is a guy who was a Super Bowl MVP. He's the consummate leader and teammate. He's doing what he can to will this team to be better than the sum of the parts. Here he is from yesterday. 
we're not going to get complacent and say, hey, man, we're five and one. This is it. No, like we're, we're sitting there in the locker room after the game talking through it. Hey, we got to be better here. This is what we got to do. Hey, communication here, route running here. Hey, we got to be able to run the ball here. We know that. I know you're all going to ask those questions. We know that. And that's what's exciting because we don't have to have y'all say, hey, you doing this. Hey, we know. But we also know that we're going to improve because we believe in one another. And that's what great teams do. Great teams find a way to win a game. Bad teams win with prettiness. Great teams win no matter how it takes. So I'm proud of our guys. I, I, I think we're continuing to improve. Are we where we want to be? No, we're not where we want to be. But I'm excited about our offense. I'm ex- excited about the guys that are there. I like the communication that's happening on the side. I love the passion of the players. Most important, they care. And we're bonding. We're getting to know each other. That's football. Like, you don't just go out there and play football. you got to care about the man next to you to make those plays. So I like where we're at. I know we're going to improve. I believe in our staff. I believe in our players. And I'm really grateful to be a part of this organization. It just cracks me up to see him talk like that. He's got the demeanor of the guy who ordered decaf and accidentally got regular. It's just great. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, 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 that's, and that's, you know, that's the best thing about the Bears right now. They made the decision to go with Foles when they were down uh, in a game that uh, they, they ultimately came back and won. He lost the Colts game, but he's beaten the Bucks, And now he's beaten the Panthers, who were favored to win, which I thought played into the Bears' hands. And we're going to find out, like I said, Rams, Saints, Titans. We're going to find out if his team is built to last, Shereen. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And really, their next five games, Rams, Saints, Titans, Vikings, and Packers. And so that's that's really a tough stretch there. I mean, there's one game there well, I well, think well, that, well, that, well. that they're going to be favored yeah. in. Tough, tough stretch. Don't, don't call game. the Vikings. A tough, don't, don't, try to, don't try to make me feel one better. One game in Shereen. there. They know, they know what they are. That's a Monday night game, too, in Chicago. I don't give the Vikings a snowball's chance in uh, on the equator to have a chance at that one, which probably means they'll win the way my luck's been going picking games this year. Yeah. But look at the schedule. Leave that up, please. They're 5-1 they're and one right now through six games. Ten games left, which means all you got to do is go 5-5, five and five and you're 10-6, and six, all right? Yeah. So Vikings, Lions, Texans, Vikings, Jaguars. There's your five wins. You can get swept by the Packers. Yeah. You can lose to the Titans. You can lose to the Rams. You can lose to the Saints. You can still be 10 and 6. And uh, that's a pretty damn good season for these Bears. And uh, I I think that's the minimum right now. Well, and they need to win the division, Mike, to get a home field advantage. And we know it's hard to win in Chicago in January. It's cold. And if you get one of those indoor teams or a warm weather team, it's going to be really hard uh, to win there. I'll, t- I'll say this. Their defense is good enough to keep them in every single game. They're going to be in every single game. They're not going to get blown out of games. And I think that's what they really have worked for them. They're seventh in defense. And when you look over there and you see Khalil Mack on the other side, you know they're going to get after people. And you and you better be have your best foot forward uh, on offense to compete with that defense because you're just not going to score a lot of points. And when you get your chances, you better take advantage of it. But that defense is legit, I think. But they need to get the offense going. And, it, you know, maybe you find a running back somewhere, but I think they need a running back. They're 28th in rushing, 28th in overall offense, but they've got to get their running game going, especially, again, if we're talking about winning a playoff game in cold weather, you've got to be able to run the ball. And right now this is a team that's averaging under 100 yards as a team running the ball every week. You mentioned the next five games will be a challenge, the fifth game. You saw it on the schedule, the little Peacock logo next to it, a Sunday night game. Thanksgiving weekend on NBC bears and Packers get together. That should be a great one because it's very rare that both of those teams are great at the same time. And this year 
They both look great, notwithstanding what happened to the Packers yesterday. Some quick injury news on the way out the door. The Eagles running back Miles Sanders is out this week with a knee injury. Tight end Zach Ertz out three to four weeks with an ankle injury. The Eagles have to turn around and play the Giants on Thursday night. Eagles-Giants, debate. Eagles-Giants, debate. I I guess I'll go split screen, but I'm not going to be paying real close attention to Eagles-Giants. And then for the Titans, Taylor Lewan has a torn ACL. Uh, out for the rest of the year. Shereen, what does this do to that rushing attack? Does it really matter when you have Derrick Henry? Is he a guy who can overcome <laughs> not having great blocking? He still needs to get those first couple steps. So he needs some blocking to get through the first level. And I think it's more about the pass blocking. You saw Taylor LeWine goes out in the very first play. J.J. Watt comes in and gets the strip sack right away. And uh, Ryan Tannehill had no chance on that play. So the good thing is, if he can play at all, he's been on the COVID list almost the whole entire year, but they do have Isaiah Wilson. They spent the first round draft pick on, and they could move Dennis Kelly to left tackle or keep him at right tackle, whatever, if Isaiah Wilson could come on. But it's a, a huge question mark. But you're right. They they need that good run blocking for, for Derrick Henry. He's good, and he may do yesterday, and I think he'll still be good. But the pass blocking, maybe you more worry about and getting Ryan Tannehill killed uh, if they continue to let the guy come in off the edge around the left tackle. I'm glad you mentioned Isaiah Wilson. You know, we hear more often than not, a guy has COVID-19, he's asymptomatic, no big deal. There have been some guys that have been on it for a long time, and we don't hear anything about them for privacy reasons. But, uh, yeah, look, I think some of these guys have gotten sick, and they don't want to tell the world that, that for a variety of reasons, these guys have gotten sick, but hopefully they can get something out of Isaiah Wilson because they're going to need it moving forward if they want to continue to play the way they have. All right, we're going to take a quick break. By the way, Bill's up 3 nothing on uh, the strength of the field goal that just went through. We'll be back with PFT, PM, QB, or something like that right after this. There were a couple plays that were close to maybe considering the challenges. I know you answered after the game on the James White run. The, the long catch by Patrick on your sideline, it was hard to tell. From my view, if he got both feet in, maybe he did. Um, did you feel good just with the internal process that you guys had? Just with, however that's working, that you were getting the information you needed to make the best decision you felt you need to make on those type of plays? Yeah, I, I mean, I do. I feel that's, you know, it's it's nice to be able to, you know, sit up there and watch replay after replay and, you know, have unlimited challenges. Uh, but that's just not the way it is. So, you know, we, we don't have unlimited challenges. And, you know, we challenged the touchdown, the quarterback sneak on the touchdown. Um, so we thought that was enough to overturn it. You know, there's a lot of close plays out there. You know, if you challenge all of them, then you run out of timeouts and run out of challenges and everything else. So you have to pick out the ones that you think are the right ones. And it's certainly an unscientific process, but I feel like we take the information and do the best we can. I'm sure it could be done better. I'm sure other people could manage it better, but we'll, we'll just do the best that we can. That was Mike Reese of ESPN.com posing the question to Bill Belichick. And there's always that kind of deferential making a request of the Wizard of Oz quality that creeps into the way that they question Bill Belichick because you never know. You never know what you're going to get from him. Now, that the content of it wasn't as bad as the delivery yesterday. He had that kind of 
that, you know, irritated point about not being able to practice. But you, you never know. And he's even more menacing and intimidating with his give me all your money mask on, Shireen. <laughs> and it leads me to believe that the way he answered that question, that he does have a problem with it, that he did question it, and he doesn't like being questioned because he knows that he's wrong. I mean, look, you get two challenges, and if you get both of those right, you get a third challenge. He got one right. He probably would have gotten the other two right if he if he doesn't get the second one right, and I don't know which order they were in, but... I think he would have won both challenges that, that he had there. And they, they certainly were worth throwing the red flag. And the way they operate, they have a guy named Ernie Adams up top, who that's his sole job and to call down. And he obviously didn't do a good, good job with it because those two plays should have been challenged. And I think part of the way Belichick does what he does, he never wants to have to throw anybody under the bus. He's a good teammate in that regard. He doesn't call people out. He deals with those issues inside because he ultimately needs to have the loyalty and the buy-in from everyone so if he says well you know ernie didn't tell me to do it then ernie's the one who looks like the jerk and that's just not belichick's way so i respect that and i really do think a lot of the way he is is aimed at protecting the people that work for him and the people that he's trying to get the most out of and it's just the way he is it's just there's a way to do it that isn't disrespectful to other people now the the tim patrick catch non-catch that definitely should have been reviewed and and the james white spot was even more egregious and uh, look it's a decision that coaches have to make in real time but as we use this segment of the show to look back on decisions from the prior day and question them it's you know it's rare that bill belichick makes it on once much less twice and then he pulled the mccarthy he pulled the down nine points go for two and you know i i understand the point of knowing now versus later that you didn't convert the two-pointer that you need at some point. If you go for one, you still need eight. And if you score a last-second touchdown and you don't make it then, you're screwed. Whereas if you don't make it now, you at least know and you can budget that. You know how far you have to go and how much time you have to get there. It's still, it's still not exactly something I feel all that strongly about. I don't get it. Uh, the Chiefs just scored a touchdown, by the way. But I still don't get why you go for two when you're down nine. I mean, I, under, I get it, but I don't get it if that makes any sense, Shereen. It makes perfect sense. I, I get the reasoning. I'm with you. I, I get the reasoning for this. Uh, I, I understand it, I guess. Mental. I don't agree with it. I completely don't agree with it. I, to me, if, if you don't get it, you're still two scores back. To me, that, that just brings your team down mentally to think, oh, my gosh, now we got to go get two scores instead of having a chance to get one score in the two-point conversion. I, I just think your team's more into it, and I don't know. I, I just I, I don't like it at all. And, you know, for a guy they asked last year about how much he relied on analytics on two-point conversions, he said less than zero. And I don't believe that at all. I think he does it, and I think he does it a lot. And this is just one I don't get. And I know you got to have a feel for your team, yada, yada, what they all say. You know, you deal with your heart and your head as much as you deal with the analytics. But this just screamed analytics, and I just I didn't like it, and I don't ordinarily like this call. And what people forget, people think you're going to make the two-point conversion. The two-point conversion over the history of the NFL is is less than 50%. It's like 49% or something like that, but right at 50%. 
So the chances of you making a two-point conversion are not very great anyway. So I don't know. I just don't like the reasoning behind it. I get it. I just don't agree with it. Here's my thought on it, too. I think that if you take the one, you're down eight, you later score a touchdown, and it's the end of the game or close to it, and you've just driven down and scored the touchdown, you've got that thing called momentum, that thing that never shows up. There's no analytics category for momentum. It is an intangible but very tangible element of any type of competition, whatever it is, ping pong, football, mahjong, whatever it is. When things start going your way, you feel good about how things are going, and the other person doesn't feel good. So I'd rather be going for that two points, Shireen, after I score the next touchdown, and all I need is the two-pointer to tie the game up, and they're already a little wobbly. They're on the ropes. Now's my chance to punch them through, or at least to tie the game and force overtime or hope to win it even after that in regulation. Yeah, absolutely agree, and it's a great point. You do have the momentum at that point, and you've got the defense on its heels. You've got a tired defense on the field, and I think your chances probably are greater at that point knowing the game's on the line to make the two-point conversion than it is earlier in the game. So I would be all for waiting until the end and knowing that you need the two-point conversion, you don't get it, all right, the chances of getting the onside kick are not very good, but but let's, let's – Let's try it and get there. But I, I'm with you. Do it when you absolutely have to have it at the end of the game to tie the game. Uh, otherwise, just don't do it. Don't do it. Keep yourself in the game. Keep yourself within one score. Texans interim head coach Romeo Cornell did something that I actually like. And the first time I noticed it was in a Sunday night game between the Seahawks and the Patriots four years ago. The Seahawks scored to go up seven before the extra point, up seven. The no-brainer knee-jerk reaction is kick one, go up eight, and then you've got to basically defend your end zone twice during the normal course of downs. And then if they score, you get fourth and goal from the two that you have to defend. They have to, they have to beat you twice. They have to score two touchdowns to force overtime. Or you can go for two, and you can go up by nine points, and it's night-night. It's game over. Once you get that ninth point, they need two possessions. That's why Romeo Cornell did it. I understand it. I support it. If you've got a two-point play you feel good about, that's the other point, too, that we lose sight of sometimes. I had a head coach explain this to me once. Whether you're going to do something like that depends on one very real factor. Do you have a two-point or short yardage play that you haven't used yet that you feel good about? If you do, that's a factor in going for it. Now, what ultimately happened for the Texans is it didn't look all that good, but I fully understand why you do this because it's the backbreaker. And when you're on the road against a better team and you've got the chance to deliver that backbreaker, Shireen, you do it. Well, and let's talk about the missed extra point earlier in the game. If they had made the extra point earlier in the game, which he has a history of missing every extra points every now and again, if you make that one, it's moot like you go kick this one and the game's over so maybe he didn't trust his kicker either to make the extra point maybe he thought his chances were better even at 50 50 percent to go get the two-point conversion and the odds were almost exactly the same it was 98.2 percent with the pat that they were going to win the game it was 98.1 percent if you have the two-point try of course if they make the two-point try the game's over at that point but 
this is a team, the reason I didn't have a problem with it, this is a team that is going nowhere. They're building Romeo's the interim coach. They're trying to get something going for next year. New, they're going to have a new head coach more than likely after this year. Romeo's not going to get the job. So you're just playing to, to win the game. And you're a losing team. You go in and you beat the Titans. Now you've won two in a row. And maybe you get something going. Who knows? So based on where the Texans team is right now, the fact that they did change head coaches two weeks ago, I didn't have a problem with it. If it was a team in contention doing this, a better team, I'm going to say, what the heck are you doing? Because you can make the stop on the two-point conversion if they get somehow get a touchdown. But the other thing is, the other point, Mike, that we're totally forgetting is this is a defense that gave up 601 yards, right? So they weren't going to stop the Titans. The Titans were going to drive down there, so I'm sure he – felt like they're going to get the touchdown and and we're probably going to lose this game if they get the touchdown. So he thought that was their best chance to win. I can't say I blame him. If your defense gives up over 600 yards, I mean, you, you can't blame him for going for it. Yeah, especially because they didn't get the ball in overtime. Deshaun Watson finished with the highest passer rating in league history for a guy with 37 pass attempts and lost. This never happened before that a guy with that kind of a passing performance lost in part because he didn't get a chance at the ball in overtime because that rule still needs to change. That's a topic for a different day. It is amazing, though, how coaches have changed at some point in the last few years from being very buttoned up, being of the mindset that they will do the conventional thing because if the conventional thing doesn't work, nobody says boo. If you do the unconventional thing and it doesn't work, you get called out and you potentially get fired. And I really do think that one of the factors in all of this is everyone's got the analytics person now, so the coach finds some safe harbor in saying, this is what the analytics guy that you hired told us to do. That's why we did it. Don't blame me. I'm not just drunk at the blackjack table while I'm doing this. I'm doing what the analytics told me to do. So they have cover that they didn't have before. So they can do these things almost to the point, Shireen, where they feel compelled to do the thing that the analytics says because here's what happens. When you're out on the practice field and the owner's in the building, And the 25-year-old MBA from Penn is hanging around, maybe picking up a calzone every day for the boss like George Costanza. There's a relationship that can develop. And all of a sudden, that analytics person is going to be Paul DePodesta. And you're going to have people who have influence who run the numbers. And you better defer. They They have a sneaky amount of power. And I think that's part of what we're seeing. These analytics people are in a position where they can cozy up to ownership. They have influence. They have juice. They're, in many cases, the smartest people in the buildings. And the coaches, in a weird sort of way, Shireen, are deferring to them. And we've seen it, Mike, over and over and over again. It is amazing over the last two years, particularly this year, how much teams are going for it on fourth down, going for the two-point conversion, doing all these things that we haven't seen on a consistent basis in the history of this game. And they're doing it exactly for the reason you said. The analytics people are telling them to do it. This is what the numbers say to do. I'm telling you to do this. And that's what they do. They're following the advice of the analytics people. And it either works or doesn't work. And it leaves the coach to look like either a genius or a fool. Uh, But as you said, he can tell the owner and point to the analytics person. This is the person that you hired. And I am listening to him for what he tells me to do. Yeah, if you got a problem with it, take it up with him the next time you guys are eating calzones from Paisano's. All right. Uh... Sometimes it's obvious that you have to go for two, like when you're down eight and time is running out, which is what happened to the Eagles 
on Sunday. I had no idea. I thought that was a blowout. I thought, hey, the Ravens covered, picked them to cover. That one's fine. Check the box on that one. All of a sudden, I see it's 30-28, to 28, and the Eagles are going for two to tie the game. And the decision wasn't the problem. It was getting the play call in. Here's Doug Peterson talking about what went wrong as the Eagles tried to figure out what they were actually going to do on their two-point conversion attempt. Great opportunity right there to, to you know, score, tie the football game. Um, you know, I can do, I can do better um, as far as getting the play in and, and you know, giving, giving our guys a better opportunity um, play call-wise, too, in that, in that situation. But, you know, credit them, made the stop, and uh, just a little bit short. He seems very nonchalant for a guy that all of Philadelphia wants fired, which really drives me nuts because he did win a Super Bowl. Yeah. Not that long ago. There should be more of a grace period winning a Super Bowl than what the folks in Philly will give them. But they hung tough with the Ravens. But yeah, I mean, you still have to mechanically do all the things necessary, whether you're going for one, going for two, calling a fourth down play. There there are ways that the whole process can be short-circuited. If you don't get the right play in on time, you got no chance of converting that two-pointer, Shireen. And you talked about it, Mike. You have to feel good about your two-point play. And obviously, they didn't have a choice in this, but... I didn't watch a whole lot of this game yesterday, so I went back and watched the end of this game. And what got me was I'm thinking, well, maybe they scored on a long play there and it just snuck up on him, you know, the two-point play, whatever. But it was a quarterback sneak. I mean, you think you're going to get it on a quarterback sneak, so why isn't the two-point play ready? I mean, you have five to seven of those on your play sheet. You should know which one you like the best. They should be in order. So to me, it was just confusing why he didn't have that two-point play ready to go. And when you watch it, they break the huddle with 12 seconds left. And it looks like they did two different plays to me because Carson Wentz got in the huddle and said something and then looked back at the sideline and said something else in the huddle. They break the huddle. There's 12 seconds. They get up there, and all of a sudden, they're rushed. And they did have a timeout and probably should have called the timeout. And I know they were thinking, well, if we get the onside kick, we're going to need that timeout. But should have called that timeout. Take your time. Make sure it's the best play you have. And that was not the best play they have, I would think. That was just a horrible play that they came out with. And if you watch the replay of that, there was a false start that officials missed. Yeah, um, and it really is. It is wild to see that the Eagles had a chance to force overtime in that game. we got to take a break. When we return... Time for the PFTPM Monday Mailbag. Plus, coming up, a quick visit from Rodney Harrison as he gets ready for the debut of his show, which will follow us on Monday, Safety Blitz. We'll be back with PFTPM right after this. Got a few questions in on this Monday edition of PFTPM. The Bills driving, by the way. Josh Allen just missed Zephon Diggs at the back of the end zone on what would have been a go-ahead touchdown. They're already into the second quarter in uh, Bills Stadium. It's now Bills Stadium. Remember when it was Rich Stadium? You remember that, Shireen? Long time ago when they first opened, it was Rich Stadium. I don't know who Bro. Rich was. He must have been nice because they named a stadium after him. And then it was Ralph Wilson Stadium. Then it was New Era Field. And now it's Bill Stadium because New Era went, I don't know if they went belly up. They just didn't have the money to keep doing it. So no sponsor for Bill Stadium, just Bill Stadium. Uh, 13 minutes left in the second quarter. First question from KTOM24 on Twitter. With the trade deadline a couple of weeks away, what trade would you like to see and what trades are likely ha- to happen? Shireen, what do you got? Well, 
to me, the Falcons are in a huge rebuild. I'd like to see them trade Julio Jones because I think you get some draft picks that are much needed. That'll be for a new coach and a new GM that you're going to get after the season. And I just think it'd be a nice way to start. You have Calvin Ridley coming up and uh, he could be your number one receiver. That's one I would like to see. Do I think it's going to happen? Absolutely not. I don't. Um, but that is one I would like to see happen. And then when you just look at some of these losing teams, you, you'd like to see them get some draft capital. And I, I think the Jets don't have a ton to trade, but I think there are other teams there that, that certainly do that are not going to be in the playoff picture for much longer. Here's the problem if you trade Julio Jones, $23 million or thereabouts in cap acceleration this year. This year. And they're already strapped against the cap. So Rich McKay's already said that they don't plan on making any moves with any of the current roster. They want that roster to be there for the next coaching staff and the next GM to make those decisions. But if somebody makes them an offer that they can't refuse, then that's something that they'll have to consider. And somebody's going to have to make that decision. And McKay's a former GM, so I guess he would make that call in consultation with owner Arthur Blank and interim head coach Raheem Morris. Uh, for me, I you know, it's funny. I've gone back and forth on this now. After week one, I was determined that the Ravens, or not the Ravens, that the Browns uh, should trade Odo Beckham Jr. And then they went four in a row. He had huge contributions against the Dallas Cowboys. It looked like it was changing. Yesterday, visibly frustrated, kind of like old school New York Giants with everything but the kicking net swinging back into his face. I, I, uh, I'm starting to think that they're going to be better off long term. And they have the running game. Uh, I know they're going to need somebody to come in and be that deep threat, that guy that can be double covered all the time. And who knows? Maybe they give Antonio Brown his next second chance. Uh, it's worked out with Kareem Hunt um, and Brown's going to be available in a couple of weeks. But um, I, I just feel like it's something they need to consider because I, I get the impression that that the desire to win is so overwhelming that on those days where it doesn't go the Browns way, it's just gonna, it's going to be an issue. It's going to be a distraction. It's going to be a theme. Shereen, any thoughts on whether they should trade OBJ? Do you think they're any different without him? Because I don't. I, I think they're the same team without him as they are with him. And they have Austin Hooper, and they have the two running backs, and they want to run the ball. So, I, absolutely, I say you go get what you can get for him. A red zone out is breaking my heart here, although I am now up. I, I am apathetic, or at least I'm trying to be, when it comes to the Vikings who are 1-5. Is Ryan Tannehill everything that the Vikings hoped Kirk Cousins would be, Shireen? What do you think? Yes, yes, and yes. They both signed the, the contract extensions, and or with Ryan Tannehill was a new contract. But, yeah, absolutely. He's exactly what the Vikings thought they were getting in Kirk Cousins. And he's third in passer rating right now. He's uh, has 13 touchdowns, two interceptions. He's rolling. And I think that's what the Vikings expected to get uh, from Kirk Cousins. And they just haven't. He hasn't been that guy. And, frankly, he hasn't been that guy his whole entire career. And now – to me, they're they're back up against it because you did sign him to that contract extension and now you were stuck with him. Cousins has always been just good enough to not be bad. That's what he's been. And he's parlayed that into astronomical career earnings because if you are just good enough to not be bad, your original team ultimately is not going to keep you and you're going to become a free agent. And how many guys on the right side of 30 who have played the quarterback position at a fairly high level are ever available. And that's what got him 
the first contract in Minnesota, and then the win over New Orleans in the playoffs last year got him and Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman and Dalvin Cook their contracts. And I'm I'm convinced, Shereen, they're on scholarship year this year. This year doesn't count. Next year, we'll worry about winning games. This year, we don't have fans at the games. Oh, boo-hoo. You know, it's just this attitude of it's not our year, and it's showing week in and week out. And I think the loss to the Seahawks was the final nail in that coffin. Tannehill, on the other hand, has been awesome. He's got mobility. He just... And this year, especially, I noticed it a little bit last year, but he just seems different this year. He's got a different demeanor. He looks larger. He looks more confident. He's got a swagger that he's never had before, and it helps. The more success you have in any field, the more confidence you're going to have. That's what we have with him. That's what they have with Derrick Henry. Two contracts they had to do, and uh, it's worked out so far, and they're 5-0. and Real quickly on the way out. At Venet, Virginia, should the Buccaneers be better known for their offense or their defense, Shireen? Uh, I think their defense. They're number one in total defense. They're playing great. Yeah, you know, I agree with you as well. That defense really woke it up yesterday, and they're the reason why the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Packers 38-10. to Let's take a quick break. By the way, the Bills have just scored a touchdown. 10-7 to they lead in the second quarter. Rodney Harrison joins us next right here on PFTPM. Hey, Matt. Next up on PFTP, well, we have Rodney on PFTPM. Next up on Peacock, it's the debut of Safety Blitz with Rodney Harrison and Jack Collinsworth. And Rodney Harrison is going to be joining us as we do the official handoff on this day where the NFL has its third Monday Night Football doubleheader of the year. But you should be watching us instead. And if you are, thank you very much. Here's Rodney Harrison, Shereen Williams, and I uh, to wrap up Monday's show. What do you say, Rodney? What's up, guys? How are you? Uh, you, you said you're mad Good. at me, and, I, and my first reaction was, why are you mad at me? And then I said, why are you mad at me today? Because you're always mad at me about something. Well, I just disagree with what you said about the Minnesota Vikings. You said Dalvin Cook and everybody and Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer, they're on scholarship. These guys, they go out and compete. They're not having a lot of success. But Kirk Cousins, he's not that type of player where he gets the money and shut it down. And I know Dalvin Cook everything that he stands for, he he will not shut it down. I and mean, Mike Zimmer is a heck of a coach. How could you say something like that, Florio? So disappointing to you. <laughs> I'm not saying that they're deliberately trying to lose. They just don't have that same edge that they should. And that's the way it's been under Zimmer. One year, no playoffs. Next year, playoffs. This year, no playoffs. Next year, when the heat's on a little bit, maybe they'll make it to the playoffs. Well, you've been around the game a long time, Mike, and you know sometimes teams go through periods of times, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, a, a day, a, a, a month, where they struggle. And I, I just think that's the case with the Minnesota Vikings. But when I look at their team, they just they got to get Dalvin Cook back healthy and they got to get him running the football. Hey, Rodney, thank you for a little bit of your time. We're going to hand it off to you. Uh, for Jack Collinsworth and Rodney Harrison and the Safety Blitz, it gets rolling right now. We'll see you with PFTPM tomorrow. Have a great day. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. 
new cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.